You're listening to an IOE podcast. Powered by UCL Minds. This is Research for the Real World. Conversations with researchers about the paths they've taken to shape our everyday lives. for the real world. Hi, I'm Dr Lauren Hammond and I'm lecturer in Geography Education here at IOE, UCL's Faculty of Education and Society. In this season of Research for the Real World, we're exploring the myriad of ways IOE has established research-led relationships across London. We'll be diving into rigorous research evidence and innovative solutions to tackle complex challenges in our capital. It's my first time hosting the podcast and I'm really excited to be here. In this episode, I'm delighted to be talking to Dr. Laura Crane. Laura is an Associate Professor at IOE, where she is Interim Director of the Centre for Research in Autism and Education, also known as CRAE, C-R-A-E. Laura's areas of expertise include examining the diagnostic and post-diagnostic experiences of autistic people, their families and the professionals who work with them, and promoting access to justice for autistic witnesses. Laura's areas of expertise include examining the diagnostic and post-diagnostic experiences of autistic people, their families and the professionals who work with them, and promoting access to justice for autistic witnesses. Laura is also on the steering group of UCL's Centre for Co-Production and served for 10 years until 2021 as social media editor at Autism, the International Journal of Research and Practice, where she led all community engagement initiatives. Central to all of Laura's work is a commitment to the involvement of autistic people and broader autism communities in the research process, ensuring that research has a strong participatory ethos and is of direct and practical relevance. Laura has received numerous awards for her work, including the UCL Provost Prize for Public Engagement in 2018. So hi, Laura. Welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here today. Hi, Lauren, and thanks for inviting me. So Laura, I'm keen to hear more about your work at the IOE, but first it would be great to get to know you a little bit more. How did you get involved in education and is there a story about how you got involved in autism research? So I've been involved in autism and autism research for around 20 years now. So when I was doing my undergraduate degree, I volunteered at the National Autistic Society, so one of the major autism charities. Um, And it was a befriending role, um, which involved meeting up with some autistic young people and just hanging out with them and getting to know them a bit better and just having fun, really. And I really, really enjoyed it. And a little while later, an opportunity came up to do a PhD in autism research. And I thought that this was a really wonderful, kind of a wonderful opportunity to develop the kind of skills that I was getting and to actually get to do some research with the young people and the group that I've been working with in a voluntary capacity for a while. And my initial research on autism was focused more around learning and cognition and particularly focused on memory. And that led on to a kind of wide range of projects that I'd been involved in. So as you mentioned, some work on memory in a criminal justice context but also work 
on things like diagnostic and post-diagnostic support. And when I joined IOE, I think I, I first started working here in about 2014. That was when I first got the opportunity to take the work I was doing in autism and apply it more to education. And since I've been here, I've had lots of opportunities to do research on supporting autistic children and young people in education and also autistic young adults and older adults as well who are in the university system too. So my research interests are quite wide ranging but all kind of centred around supporting autistic people in kind of real world contexts. So thanks Laura, it's fascinating to hear how volunteering inspired your research journey and to hear about your really diverse research. So I can see from your biography that you're an advocate for promoting access to justice for autistic witnesses in both the criminal and family justice systems. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? So this was one of the research projects that kind of came about in a rather unusual way. But my husband is a detective in the Metropolitan Police. And for many years, he worked in the child abuse investigation team. And he came home from work on several occasions and there'd been a situation involving an autistic young person um, who was a victim or witness of crime. And he was tasked with going in and interviewing them and finding out what had happened and getting their kind of side of the story. And he would come home and, and just talk about how kind of out of his depth he felt because he'd not had any training in autism. He didn't really know the most effective ways to adapt his communication when working with autistic victims or witnesses. And he felt like there needed to be some kind of support in place for him within his role. When I started to look into it a bit more, I realised that actually there wasn't very much known about how to support autistic children, young people or adults in the justice system. And I started working with some colleagues of mine to explore that in a lot more depth. I think there was a perception by many that, you know, if you had an autistic victim or witness, that they either couldn't give evidence at all or wouldn't give very good evidence and actually what our research showed was that with the right support actually autistic people can give very good evidence but it's about having that support in place and someone who particularly can adapt their communication style to really allow autistic people's kind of experiences to come out in a way that suits them best. Oh, that's fascinating. Thank you. And so you've obviously got a really wide ranging research experience in, in autism and you've done lots of work in terms of kind of working with people in communities. And I was wondering, what do you think is missing from research about autism at the minute? And if you could set a research agenda for autism, what would you include in that? Ooh, that's a really tough question. I think one of the things that we've seen from research that's been done within our centre is that there's loads and loads of autism research that's taken place. But actually, a lot of that research doesn't have direct and practical relevance to autistic people's lives. And there was a really seminal report that came from our centre that was led by two of our former directors, Professors Tony Charman and Liz Pelicano. It was a report called A Future Made Together. And what they did in this report was that they looked at the landscape of autism research. So all of the autism research that was being published and that was being funded. And they took that to the community 
and looked at whether it aligned with what the community wanted to see from research. And what they found was that there was this kind of big gap between what researchers were choosing to focus on and what the community wanted to see taking place. So a lot of research was on things like biology and how autistic people's brain works and things like this. Whereas actually what the community wanted was research that focused on things like services and education and supports. So I think in terms of what's missing, I think certainly a focus on priorities that matter to autistic people and to their families and to the professionals who work with them. And I think certainly another area that needs kind of development in the field is the more involvement of the autistic and broader autism communities in the research. So often autistic people take part as research participants, but don't have much of a say in kind of the topics of the research or how it gets done or how it gets shared. And actually something that's really important to us within our centre is to make sure that we do meaningfully involve the communities that we're working with in the research throughout the whole process. So in terms of designing what research we you know, focus our attentions on, how we carry that out in a way that's respectful and ethical and that makes a difference, how we interpret and analyse that information that we collect and how it affects practice. Um, so we do a lot of work trying to kind of make kind of academic research more accessible to those outside of academia. We do things like running webinar series to foster discussions about kind of important topics in autism research. We are very active on social media because that's a great way, you know, people won't necessarily respond to a journal article that you've written, but if you share it on social media, you can get some really, really useful feedback around how to take your research forward. So I think if I, you know, was thinking about what's coming next, maybe I'm not the one to make the decision. It would be something that would come from the community and that would, you know, they'd be really actively involved in shaping whatever it looked like in the end. So co-production, true engagement with autistic people and the people who work with and for autistic people is key here and also having an, an impact agenda. So making sure that research is shared in accessible ways. And it's great to hear how you've done that. So we're based in London, the IOE is based in London. And so how has London shaped and informed your research? Yeah, I think it's really exciting being based in London and getting to do research in this context, particularly, I think, in education. So in autism research, one of the big issues I think we have is in terms of representativeness. So a project that I did several years ago now was on autistic people and their families' experiences of accessing an autism diagnosis and getting appropriate post-diagnostic support. And we did some large-scale surveys. Now, parent survey, for example, had over a 1,000 parents take part, which was really, really good for a survey of that nature. But when we were looking at the kind of characteristics of our sample, you know, over 90% were white British, which really doesn't represent the diversity of all autistic people and their families, for example. So one of the things that I think is great about doing research in London is that we do reflect that diversity much more. And we do a lot of research with autism schools in and around London, but also kind of mainstream schools that cater for autistic pupils as well. And what we're seeing much more there is I think that we're getting much greater diversity in terms of who's taken part in our research, which is a really, really lovely thing to see. 
And we've also had the opportunity to do some really bespoke research projects as well, looking at particular cultural groups in London, such as the Somali community. So, for example, there's no word for autism in Somali. And perceptions of autism within the Somali community are quite different. There's a lot of shame and stigma associated with autism. So we've been doing some really brilliant work led by one of our master's students at IOE who was um, from the Somali community herself, looking at the kind of unique cultural elements around those families' experiences, which has been really wonderful to do as well. Amazing. And uh, I think you alluded to some of the work that you've done in terms of the Pan-London Autism Schools Network there, in terms of working with autism specialist schools. I don't know if you could expand on that a little bit. Yeah, so the Panels and Autism Schools Network, or PLASN, is a network of autism special schools in London and surrounding areas who have come together with a group of academic researchers to, I think, address a big gap in autism research, which is that autism is a very diverse label, or there's a lot of diversity that falls under the banner of autism. And many autistic people have perhaps co-occurring diagnoses such as intellectual disability or language and communication difficulties, and their needs aren't able to be met within kind of mainstream schooling. So it might be deemed more appropriate that they would be educated within a school that specialises in autism, for example. But many of the autistic children and young people who are educated in special schools are excluded from research opportunities. And I think it's because they're perceived to be too challenging to include in the research. You know, lots of researchers think, well, actually, if I can't, you know, do an interview with a young person or they can't complete my, you know, IQ or language assessments, they won't be able to take part. And what the schools were kind of telling us was that they were getting a little bit disappointed with the way that, you know, they really want to engage with the research to find out how best to support their pupils and to meet their needs. But actually all of the research or a lot of the research that's taken place actively excludes them. And they wanted to see more research that had direct benefit um, to the young people in their settings. So a network was convened, and I can't take credit for this, this was before I joined IOE, but a network was convened of senior leaders from the special schools together with a group of academic researchers. And the idea behind this network, which I now co-chair with a head teacher colleague of mine from one of the schools, is that the schools will identify priority topics um, that they want to see more research done about. And they'll work with academic researchers to turn those ideas into research projects. So the schools will bring their knowledge and expertise about, you know, the young people that they have in their settings and what works in practice. And the academic researchers will bring their knowledge and expertise around high quality research. And together we will co-create research studies that have really important impacts on practice. But also it's about knowledge exchange. It's about the researchers hearing from the schools about the things that really matter to them and their priorities, but also for the schools to hear about some of the latest, most cutting edge research that's coming out of IOE and from some of our other partner universities that we work with too. So it's a really, really brilliant opportunity, I think, to make research have more relevance in the real world. 
that's again it's it's wonderful to hear and I'm seeing this theme of kind of co-production emerging from your work and it's really valuable to hear about the work that you've done with marginalized communities clearly autistic people also go to school in mainstream settings in state primary schools and secondary schools and I was wondering if any of this research could be applied or done with with young people who attend more kind of mainstream setting schools as well. Absolutely. So while our network focuses on special schools, and I think that's very much because I I mentioned this group really don't have as many opportunities to take part in research, we have been doing a lot of work with that kind of ethos of co-production across other settings as well. So one of our um, partner schools that we're working with at the moment is a primary school in Tel Hamlets. And they're a primary school um, for whom inclusion is really, really important. And they're a wonderfully inclusive setting. And one of the things that they have implemented across the whole school is flexible seating. So rather than just the standard kind of hard plastic chairs that you typically see in classrooms, it's things like wobble stools or standing desks or rocking chairs or bouncy balls and things like this. And there's some kind of anecdotal evidence that these can be beneficial for autistic children or children with other special educational need who perhaps have quite unique kind of sensory needs, but also that they could be beneficial much more broadly to a range of children and young people. So we're working with the school to do some work with their staff to hear what they think about the chairs being implemented in the settings. But we're also working very closely with the staff at the school to think of really inclusive, child-friendly ways of eliciting the voices of the pupils as well. So we've got activities that they're doing, such as head teacher for the day, where they get to pick kind of what chairs they'd like to keep in school or which ones they might not like anymore. Some are doing reviews of the chairs for the younger children. It's some you know, voting and doing some counting activities with them. So just really making sure that taking part in research is really fun and engaging and that we get their voices across in a really meaningful and authentic way. But I think that's a project that will definitely have benefit to the autistic children and young people, but actually could have benefit much more broadly in kind of terms of inclusive practice as well, which is really exciting. Thank you. And it's great to hear about the different methods that you use. I love the idea of a a young person getting to be head teacher for the day and making decisions um, about what they do there. So in terms of inclusivity and accessibility with autistic students, how much work is there left to do? And I mean, who should do this work? You've talked about working with children, you've talked about working with teachers and practitioners, but also researchers themselves. Yeah, I think inclusion um, in education is something that we've certainly had at the forefront of our minds recently. So we have launched this academic year our Masters in Special and Inclusive Education with an autism-specific pathway through it. So the Masters in Special and Inclusive Education has been running at IOE for many, many years now. But for the first time, students can come to IOE and take that course while specialising in autism. And one of the things that we're really keen to have is students who are autistic themselves. And we have lots of um, people on our course who've got other personal connections and professional connections to autistic people too. But we really feel that we have to practice what we preach um, when we're teaching about inclusive education. So within our teaching, for example, we try very hard to have inclusive practices 
and I think very much at higher education but also in you know other levels of education too what works well for autistic students will work well for the broader group as well so just as one example we know that sometimes autistic people find kind of unpredictability quite difficult and challenging which is completely understandable it's something that I think a lot of people it can make them feel quite anxious so whenever we have one of our sessions with our students for example we try to map out very kind of clearly exactly what we're going to be doing so if you have to read an article and discuss it it's thinking about well what kind of questions might you be asked to consider rather than having something that's very open trying to put some clearer parameters around that given a very clear structure of what we're going to cover and when we're going to cover it and actually I mean I found it really beneficial myself just having all of that mapped out and knowing that this is the structure that we're keeping to but we've had really positive feedback not just from our autistic students but from the broader student body as well, saying actually how they're feeling much more able to be, you know, come to the sessions prepared. They're less anxious about discussing things in with in kind of small groups and with the broader group as well, just because they've had a chance to think things through and it's really improved their confidence. So I think generally these little adaptations that can be incorporated in the classroom to benefit autistic pupils can really benefit a much wider kind of group of people and just improve the student experience broadly as well, which I think is particularly important for autistic students because so much research literature shows what a difficult time they have in education. And I think with some, you know, adaptations to practice, which aren't expensive and aren't really onerous, it could really improve that school experience. No, thank you, Laura. And it's, it's really wonderful to hear about the connection between research and practice and how you're modelling good teaching and practices with autistic pupils in your own teaching. And, and it's also really interesting to hear about the wider benefits of some of the changes that, that a teacher or a practitioner might make. Obviously, this is a, a specific master's. I wonder if in, in general teacher education or generally teachers feel prepared, if you think, to if generally teachers feel prepared and supported to work with autistic people. And I wonder if that's perhaps a, a, a gap in, in mainstream education as well. Absolutely. I think it's really, really difficult in terms of teacher training because there is so much that has to be covered in teacher education that actually, although you do have to have some content on autism now, you're quite limited in how kind of in depth you can delve with that. And I think maybe it is a move away from thinking about how do we support autistic students or children with special educational needs in a kind of very specific sense and thinking more about how can we make our teaching inclusive more broadly? What kind of things can we do to benefit all pupils? Um, and I think that's definitely the way to go. You know, we can't expect teachers to be experts in everything, just as we can't expect police officers to be experts in everything, for example. So I think it really is about thinking about what good practice, good inclusive teaching practices are for all, rather than necessarily expecting people to be kind of subject specific experts, um, for example. Laura, your work is amazing, isn't it? As someone who works in teacher education, it's really difficult. I'm expected to teach about kind of inclusion. And then you think about the range of like <laughs> different learning needs that people can have. And, you know, I think even having like a little podcast or a little video of people like you speaking 
you know, that students can engage with and use as a resource would be fantastic for them. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not always easy. You know, I really acknowledge that. And something that we found is that we, we kind of learn every year. So we've had some brilliant autistic students on our module and we kind of check in with them and see how they're finding things. And they've often made suggestions as to how things can be kind of better. And particularly around group work, actually, that's something we're doing some research on at the moment. How do we make group work really inclusive? And we think it's about making sure everyone's got a very clear role within the group and things like this. But We've been kind of updating what we're doing every year just to try to make sure that we're meeting different people's needs. But I need to get on top of, you know, how to make things inclusive for students with dyslexia. I think a lot overlaps with autism, but, you know, making sure we've got the right contrast on the slides. And there's just, yeah, it's it's not easy. It takes time. Maybe I should emphasise that a bit more. <laughs> I think that's a really important point. So thank you so much, Laura. It's been really interesting to learn more about your work. And I've learned a lot about research in autism and about co-production with children, with teachers and practitioners. I've also really enjoyed hearing about how you've applied your research to your own practice in teaching at the IOE. So thank you again. Thanks very much. Thank you for inviting me. So you can follow Laura on Twitter at Laura May Crane to learn more about her research. And some of what we've covered today is also available in the episode notes. If you've enjoyed this episode and want to find out more, we have our archive of 13 past seasons available for you to listen to. Search IOE Podcast from wherever you get your podcast from to find episodes of Research for the Real World, as well as more podcasts from the IOE. I'm Lauren. Thanks so much for listening to me on Research for the Real World. Research for the Real World is produced by IOE Marketing and Communications and IOE Research Development. The theme music was created by Rob Cochran. Tatiana Sotero-Diaz is the series advisor. Amy Leibowitz is the series producer. And Jason Ilagin is the executive producer of the IOE podcast. Thanks so much for downloading and listening to this IOE podcast.